Good evening. Welcome in to the Irish NFL show Thursday night live TNF Club. Thursday night football. Uh, delighted to have everybody back again. Hello, Colm. Hello, Brian. Hello, Mark. Long time no see, boys. How are we getting on? Good. A couple of days since the last one, yeah. We're already at week three. It's mad how these weeks seem to just fly by. And we've got uh, a lot of really interesting games this weekend. Maybe not as much tonight, but certainly a lot to look forward to in the next few days. Colin, the biggest game of the season tonight? Uh, well, uh, it, an interesting one. I didn't expect uh, it to, to be where it is, uh, with both teams uh, sitting atop their respective divisions. Uh, I, certainly, if you go back and watch our uh, preview, pre-season show, hands up, I got this completely wrong. Time will tell what happens tonight. And Mark, I am looking forward to your many puns about uh, Panthers and also Texans tonight. What I don't know. Why would there be puns, Michael? The Panthers have been playing perfect football, um, at standing oh. at two and zero. But the reality is, I think Brian O'Leary is going to enjoy this Thursday night football a little bit more than last week's. Just a guess on that one. I took all yeah. of three seconds to to mention the Giants. Uh, excellent. We've got Dean Jones from the Cat Creative blog, who's going to come in right now talk some Panthers. Dean, welcome. To the Irish NFL show, you were texting me saying you got some kip in before uh, the big game tonight. It's a massive game for you lads, going three and zero. Hopefully, I mean, you hope tonight. Um, how are you feeling ahead of this big game? I think you might be a mute, or if I let's see what happens. Two seconds, I'm going to try and take you in and out again. Um, it's saying your network connection is low so we'll see if it works now is that working now let's see potentially this is like the first time this has happened this season lads so i mean it's grand yeah. don't worry it's grand first time uh, <laughs> dean try and just go in and refresh and come back in and we'll and we'll try and see what happens okay so just try and do that there colin uh, i guess while we're getting dean back in do you want to even take us through tonight and see you know you sort of your thoughts ahead of this game tonight would would you stay up and watch it um well I, I what if i what's going to be interesting i suppose is for the texans they have another new starter at at qb um going up against uh, a panthers defense that has really been been playing uh, lights out in fairness and that's what i was curious to, to talk to, to dean about because they are league leaders in terms of sacks um and while um, they have, uh, you know, Burns and, and Reddick who have kind of led the charge. They're spread out uh, amongst a whole host of guys. And if you are uh, Davis Mills, who, you know, making your your first start in, in the NFL, that has definitely got to be a concern. Dean, can you hear us? This is like me trying to get off loan on in 1999 on the, on the TV. Uh, Dean, I'm gonna see. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a text, and we'll see what happens. Brian, it's uh, it's good to have technical issues at the start of a show. Uh, how are you feeling ahead of tonight's game? Well, I'm optimistic for the Panthers, obviously, because at the start of the season, when we did our season preview show, I was, I wouldn't say I was high on them in terms of making, seeing them going to the playoffs, but I suggested that they had a soft schedule at the start with the Jets. I didn't think too much of the Saints, and then you look at week three with the Texans, who we all thought were going to be. The Barton Rams every week hasn't played out just that way yet. I think it's to come, but right now they're 
putting in competitive performances. But for the Panthers, who then go on to have a run of games against the NFC East, which, if it's the case of last year's NFC East, it's not a strong division. You know, you could be looking at five or six wins before they even reach the, the halfway stage of the season. I, I kind of saw this coming because I felt Matt Rowe last year was was really strong as a head coach. They were in every game, and the games in which they won, they, did, they only conceded less than 20 points. Defensively, this was coming. So, But they have to win. Look, you know yourself, we see too many games in the NFL where you think it's a given, and it just doesn't play out that way. So it's a big, it's a big game. And Mark, Davis Mills starting a quarterback tonight um, for the Texans. I'm not really sure how to build that up any further, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, the, the biggest thing, uh, Michael, for people who probably aren't as aware of Davis Mills is just to be conscious of the fact that he is definitely no Tyrod Taylor. Tyrod Taylor, um, much more mobile a quarterback, and uh, Davis Mills is going behind a pretty leaky Texans line. I mean, yes, you can't get past left tackle. Laramie Tunsil is still one of the elite left tackles in the NFL. It's just the other four I worry about. And uh, Davis Mills much more of a pocket passer, much more static. And as Colm alluded to, that Carolina defense has been for real. I mean, okay, you've got to take into account the opposition they played against. But they're getting sacks all the way around. Hassan Reddick, three sacks already this season. I mean, this is a guy started four years in Arizona, but his college coach was Matt Rule in Temple. So, you know, coming in to Carolina, obviously with a coach that believes in him, um, and he's had a great start to the season. So, um, you know, poor old Davis Mills, the biggest thing, and we'll talk to um, the Texans obviously later on, um, one of the biggest things that I worry about for him is, who's he going to throw the ball to, Michael? The Texans basically have had one wide receiver this season. They've got Brandon Cooks, they've got the ghost of Danny Amendola, who's injured, and then they've got nothing uh, else. Like, Danny Amendola's out this evening. Um, Brandon Cooks better get used to being double covered this evening because that's the only logical defensive move I can say. See, and poor old Davis Mills, um, yeah, just get it out quick, bud, is all I can suggest really for a survival tonight. Talking about getting it out quick, um, this is like me trying to reach in my freebie box to get RT2 for the Champions League. Let's see if Dean can come in here. Dean, can you hear us? I, I really hope that he can hear us. I feel bad for Dean because I was chatting to him all day, boys, and he was really excited to talk about this game tonight. I'm sure we can maybe try and get him on again for, I mean, Colin, I'm presuming the Pampers are in Sunday football at some point. Hold on. Let's see if it works. Dean, third time lucky, fourth time lucky. Does it work? Can you hear me? Thank God. Oh, my <laughs> God. That was like the worst five minutes of my life because usually when it happens, it doesn't work, but I'm, I'm delighted it's working. <laughs> Dean, we were we were just talking there uh, in terms of the, the the Panthers and the way it started. Um, have you been surprised at just how well this defense has played? I've got to be honest, not really. Um, they showed real signs over the second half of last season uh, of becoming a, a solid unit. Um, they got off to a really rough start, um, primarily down to generating pressure, really. And obviously, defensive coordinator Phil Snow um, getting a pretty ba pretty big baptism of fire um, from the college level, even though he was highly experienced, obviously, with uh, Matt Rule at Temper and Baylor. Uh, but towards the second half of last season, you really started to see um, what he was trying to deploy. And obviously, the uh, free agent signings he's made this year, coupled with the addition of JC Horn, um, Davion Nixon as well, that he 
they seem to have got a steal there in the fifth round and um snow now really has uh, a ton of sort of options at his disposal um that he's just simply putting in the right places almost all the time really i mean it's pretty scary to watch and they're just so fast i mean they come at you from all angles i mean they say something and that's what they're going off they've got two <coughs> excuse me they've got two big anchors in the middle of the defensive line Doug brown and uh, daquan jones who's, who's been outstanding uh, against the run um, and then you've obviously got Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, Morgan Fox. Um, just they're just they're just coming from everywhere, bringing Jeremy Chin down um, almost constantly to the line of scrimmage, and uh, it's really helping the coverage out as well uh, with Dante and yeah, I mean they've been fantastic. Uh, so yeah, I mean I'm not really that shocked to be honest. But to to the point of them being the best defense after two weeks, I wouldn't have predicted that. But uh, there was nothing to suggest they wouldn't have been a top five one for me. Dean, I, I was keeping a close eye on Matt Rule last year because as a Giants fan, he was the one that people felt got away. It looked for a long time like he was going to become the Giants head coach and then he went to the Panthers. Are you surprised how quickly the tra transition has worked for him going from the college game back into the NFL? I think there's still a lot of work to do. Um, like I say, when you, when you look back at his time at Temple and Baylor, um, you're looking at year three before you really start to see some progress. I mean... The work he did at Baylor, I mean, they were on the brink of sort of closing the program down. It was that much in chaos. And he's and he went in there in three years, they were playing in bowl games again. So um I think it was the long term plan in mind. Um I think they had a really strong draft last year. I mean, he recognised that the defence was was a real area that they needed to improve. I mean, they got a lot of sacks in twenty nineteen, but not a lot else because they had a lot of there was a lot of elder statesmen on there like Gerald McCoy and Bruce Irving. Um, Don Terry Poe, and he, he's got rid of all them. And obviously, when you let legends like Cam Newton, Greg Olson go, Luke Keechee retired, it was always going to be a, a huge period of transition for him, especially when you consider how much Cam and Luke and Greg all, all meant to the organization over the sort of the mid 2010s, the when the Panthers were at the peak of their powers. Um, but I, th I think he really is building something special. Um, I mean, you can see while they're all on board, um, there's no sort of disharmony. I mean, even when things weren't going well last year, uh, you never heard a bad word said about the coach or what they were trying to do. Um, and anyone that wasn't on board uh, gets shipped out pretty quickly, uh, as you saw last last year with Eli Apple um, and a couple of a couple of others this off season as well. So Denzel Perryman came in and. I just well, whether he was uh, vaccinated status or not, I had a problem. Matt Rule had a problem with or not, um, I don't know, but he, he clearly wasn't sort of the right fit and they bounced him out pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, hopes are high. I mean, I'd, I'd expect to see even more from them next year because um, it looks like Sam Darnold's going to get at least another shot next year as well, judging by the start he's made and the fact that he picked up his fifth-year option. So we've, that allows them to perhaps get sort of a French left tackle in the draft early doors because I think the offensive line is probably that one main positional group now they've they've got to really focus on next year and if they can do that and all the primary playmakers stay healthy then this is going to be a real force in 2022. Dean you you touch on obviously the lightning rod of focus for most uh, NFL fans around the intrigue in the Panther season this year which is uh, the one the only the still very young Sam Darnold and the reclamation project 
Obviously, when you've got a backfield with a superstar like Run CMC there, one of the things that's helped him out so far is what it's opened up for him on play action. The Texans tonight, a dreadful defense on play action, allowing 75% completions, uh, about 10.3 yards per average. And one review, which was a bit unkind, but I thought it was a funny line, was they said that Sam Darnold so far seems to have made the jump from poor to adequate. Um, might be a bit harsh, but I'm just wondering, what's your perception, the Panthers fan base perception, of how Darnold is progressing so far in the first couple of games? Uh, I think he's done okay, to be fair. Um, it's obviously going to take time with him. I mean, God knows what those three years in New York uh, to his confidence. Um, but the fact he's got a coaching staff now that believes in him. Uh, I mean, all, all the talk, obviously, was they nearly got Matthew Stafford and they were going to go all in for Deshaun Watson. But I think from within the organisation, they knew um, Darnold's capabilities. A couple of them were, were high on him coming out of USC. Um, and he seems like a good scheme fit. I mean, whether, whether Teddy would have got another chance if he had McCaffrey for all the last season or not. I mean, it's not a bad security blanket to have, is it? Sort of the best best sort of dual threat weapon in the league, um, which has been a big help for him. And obviously, it's a better system with Joe Brady. He's got outstanding weapons on the outside. He's got a tight end that should be able to contribute once he familiarises himself with Dan Arnold. Um, and he's got a lightning defence who are going to keep him in most games. So, in terms of places he could have ended up after the Jets sort of decided that they were going to sort of go with, with Zach Wilson. Um, this is probably arguably the best one he could have ended up in, to be honest. A lot of work to do. I mean, he's he's not getting away with, with from that himself. I mean, when you listen to his uh, interview in the post-game presser after the win against the Saints, um, he sort of admitted himself that there's a lot of work still to be done. But in terms of his footwork and his decision-making under pressure, I mean, I've been risked. I mean... There, there were times in New York where it, any sort of blitz pressure came in his face and he would just throw it away or give it away. But he's made some really convincing throws with sort of pressure in his face and the line aren't giving him a lot of time, more often than not in pass protection either. So I'd say a pretty encouraging start, certainly better than what Panthers fans were hoping for. Let's, let's not. Let's just be conscious, though, he did throw that awful shovel pass last weekend. So bad Sam Darnold still does exist, is all I'll say. Hey. Odd mistake and like and fair. I mean, fair enough. The third quarter's not been good. I'd say if there was one criticism of of the Panthers so far over two games, it's that they've been running away with things at halftime, and then they come out so flat in the third quarter. Or so, um, once they figure out that riddle, I think um, things will be a lot more convincing. But this is a good chance for him tonight to sort of right some wrongs in terms of prime time. Um, Obviously, there's the one of his seeing ghosts when he played on Monday Night Football against the Patriots. Uh, and he's got a good chance to sort of put that to bed tonight and sort of really kick on this new era of his. Dean, just like to thank you for coming on, man. I feel like we could talk about the Panthers and their schedule that they have after this game is very nice over the next six or seven weeks. I want to wish you all the very best of luck for the season and also to follow yourself on Cat Crave blog. And look, we'd love to chat to you again, hopefully at some point down the stretch and uh, enjoy in, enjoy tonight's game. Brilliant, guys. Happy to see you soon. Cheers, Dean. All the best, man. Thank you very Thank much. You. I am just, lads, I'm delighted we got that situation sort of with the internet there. I felt so bad for a minute there, but uh, it's grand. It's grand. Uh, we've got another guest already. Another guest already. We've got a guy that uh, 
is a host on Sports Radio 610 in Houston. I believe, lads, he's right outside NRG Stadium now. Sean Pendergast. Sean, can you hear us okay, yeah? Yeah, can you guys hear me okay? Perfect. Thank God. Good. Good. 100%. Now, you said last night that you'd be outside the stadium because you got the pregame for the Texans coming up now in like 20, 30 minutes. Are you at NRG Stadium at the, at the moment, yeah? I'm right. I'm right outside the stadium. There's a stadium right over there, boys. Right over there. So, and there's a yeah. band playing over there. So, if you start to hear loud music in the background, it's just that's the band trying to get everybody fired up for, uh, you know, what's going to be a tall order for Davis Mills tonight. I think. <laughs> Before we talk Texans, uh, Sean, we asked this to every guest, especially ones from the states. You were talking last night about your your surname. Have you any Irish heritage yourself? I'm half Irish, half Irish, half German, but like they like to say, the good half is Irish. You know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, I, I, like I was telling you last night on the DM, I said, if I don't come on a show in Ireland with the name Sean Thomas Pendergast, then I'm never going to go on any shows. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm psyched to be with you guys and break this whole thing down. Well, between the Irish and the German, there uh, there should be a, a, a love of beer in there, Sean. So if you if you make it over, we'll happily take you on a on a pub crawl. But uh, uh, tonight, I suppose um, one of the look, I am I'm certainly hands up guilty of buying into the negativity around the Texans in the the off season. It just didn't seem to be that there was a lot, you know, a lot to get excited about. A lot of distractions off the field. How surprised is somebody who covers the team and is on the ground? Have you been by the start the team has made on the field? Not very surprised, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, I, I was at every minute of training camp. You know, our, our station is the flagship station for the Texans. So um, my morning radio show, I was out at training camp every day doing my show. So I saw every minute of practice. And my reports back to my audience and on shows like this and other markets was, I think the Texans are going to surprise people with how competitive they are. That's not to say that they're going to be a playoff contender or anything. And certainly losing to Rod Taylor puts a big crimp in anybody who bet over four and a half wins on them this year like me. Um, but uh, I, I'm not surprised with how they perform these first two games. They, it, they, they, other than two drives against Tom Brady uh, in the, in the preseason game against Tampa Bay, uh, they looked very competitive in the preseason. Uh, the turnovers that they were causing in the preseason have, uh, have continued into the regular season. You know, they were horrible at turning teams over last year. They already have more interceptions in two games than they had all last season. Um, so Lovey Smith is making an impact. So I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm not very surprised that they've been kind of, I think, to the rest of the world, shockingly competitive in these first two games. And they're a veteran team. I think that's a big reason why. They're an older team. And I think you got a lot of guys here on one-year contracts, a lot of guys who are probably viewing this as their last chance to hang on in the NFL. And I think it, I think it showed itself as a very competitive training camp, and that's how it's looked early in the season. Sean, albeit it was the third round of the draft, Davis Mills was still their, their very first pick. Now that he's going to start the season earlier, do you think there's a realistic chance that he could potentially be the long-term starter here, or is the case very much a holding role until next year's draft, potentially with a high pick, and obviously then the Deshaun Watson, the potential trade next year? Yeah, I, I, that's, that's the big question now, and I think we're going to find out maybe sooner than we had all anticipated here. I think the anticipation here, guys, was that Davis Mills would, have, would probably start like after the bye week. Texans bye week is in week 10. Um, so that would be an ideal time to break in a rookie quarterback. And that was with the assumption that nine weeks into the season, they were three and six or something like that. Now, who knows? Maybe if Terod Taylor had stayed healthy, they'd be four and five or five and four. Who knows? 
Um, so I think we were anticipating seeing Davis Mills at some point. He's really getting thrown into the grease, though, and I'm not talking about just tonight. They play Carolina tonight, the number one ranked defense, according to DVOA on Football Outsiders. They play Buffalo next week. They're number two. They play New England the week after that. They're number three. So he's literally picking the, the three hardest defenses by the efficiency ratings to be going against. As far as can he be the long-term answer, I, I guess what I'll say is in terms of that being a possibility, Davis Mills is widely regarded as somebody who, is, if he had stayed in college, he probably would have been a first or second round pick in the 2022 draft. So the physical tools are there. He was a five-star recruit coming out of high school in Georgia. Um, but the chances of a third round pick becoming a franchise quarterback just empirically are very, very low. Look, the chances of a first round pick becoming a franchise quarterback already aren't that great. There's only like 15 of them in the whole world. Um, so I, look, he's a young kid with some arm talent. We'll see, let her rip. And uh, if, if he's not the guy, It'll be really interesting to see what the Texans do with what, as you alluded to, is probably going to be a ton of draft capital going into next April. And and Sean, look, I mean, it's not like, unfortunately, the Texans are giving Davis Mills many weapons to work with. I mean, you've got Brandon Cooks, who in fairness has done it with Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Jared Goff, Deshaun Watson last year. He's, but he's a quality wide receiver. But so far, he is the entirety of the wide receiver core. I mean, he's... 210 yards, more than five times more than Amendola, who's out tonight. More reset, more targets than all the other wide receivers combined. I mean, is there hope that there's a you know diamond in the rough who's going to emerge in this opportunity, or is it really going to be Davis? You got Brandon, and that's about it, buddy. Yeah, well, I think what what hurts them uh, tonight and for the next few weeks is I think the hope was that that guy is sort of a secondary weapon in that wide receiving core was going to be a fellow rookie, Nico Collins, out of Michigan, who had a really, really good training camp this year and had made a couple plays here early in the season. He hurt his shoulder against the uh, Cleveland Browns on Sunday, so he's on injured reserve now, so he's going to be out for a few weeks. So you're right. I mean, their next best weapon is Chris Conley, who's been a journeyman. Um, Danny Amendola is going to miss this game with a hamstring injury. Um, I think the hope is that a couple things as far as helping Davis Mills. One is obviously they're going to try to run the football. By hook or by crook, they're going to try to run the football. I don't know how well they're going to run it. They've been, I would say, below average in running it so far this year. Um, but they've got a lot of veteran guys in that backfield who are at least reliable. Mark Ingram, David Johnson uh, in the passing game, especially David Johnson. Maybe even a little bit of Rex Burkhead mixed in. Um, and then the tight ends. I think it's going to be imperative tonight to get the tight ends involved because Davis Mills is probably going to have to get the ball out very, very quickly with this Carolina pass rush. Um, so I would look for guys like Farrell Brown, uh, Jordan Akins. Maybe we even see our first look at Brevin Jordan, the rookie out of Miami, who's been inactive the first two games. I could see where maybe Brevin Jordan's not listed as a receiver, but he's definitely a receiving threat. That may be some, somewhere they try to go to get something in the passing game. But look, it's going to be an uphill battle. This team was rated 32nd in everybody's power rankings for a reason, guys. You know, like there's there's not a ton of solutions on this roster. And Brandon Cooks, you're right, is one of he's one of very few you know what you would call solutions on this roster to the problems the Texans have. Sean, how and this I, this is not an easy question to answer, right? And I'm sorry for asking it. How did the Texans stop uh, Christian McCaffrey tonight like that is if, if they can stop him I actually think they have a chance of winning the game but it's the problem like how do they actually stop him like... yeah they've been okay against the run so far other than the second half against the Browns and the Browns will do that to a lot of teams but um, 
I said good against the run. I mean, look, Jacksonville was behind that whole game by two scores. So they, you know, they had Trevor Lawrence throwing the ball 51 times. Um, they were good in the first half against the Browns. They were good in the preseason against the run. They, I tell you how they, they do it, guys, is, I mean, obviously the defensive line is going to have to come to play. They're going to have to tackle well the whole front seven. You know, Christian Kirksey's had a good year so far. He's one of the new veteran guys on this team. Zach Cunningham is one of the highest paid linebackers in the league. They're going to have to tackle well. The Carolina Panthers, if they have an Achilles heel offensively, it's that offensive line. And the Texans, at the very least, have a lot of numbers in that defensive line. They may not have a J.J. Watt anymore, but they've got a lot of guys that are very capable veteran players who are very smart players and have grasped Lovey Smith's system. I think the way they shut down Christian McCaffrey probably is with fresh legs on that defensive line and by making sure that they tackle and he's not getting yards after contact or that he's, you know, he's, there's not a ton of missed tackles. Um, but he's Christian McCaffrey. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's no great formula for shutting down Christian McCaffrey. I suppose the the other, um, if you were to take the Panthers' side of things as well, they, what they're going to say is Sam Darnold, traditionally a, a quarterback who struggled in these kind of primetime games. Uh, we all remember the seeing ghosts. What, what do you expect from um, the, the Texans to, to try to, to get at, at Darnold, to a quarterback who, who's had a, a reasonable start to, to his new career at the Panthers? Well, let's be clear. Sam Darnold has not just struggled in primetime games. Up until becoming a Carolina Panther, he struggled in all kinds of games. So, um, But you're right. The seeing ghost game was definitely something that we, we, we had some fun with this week. We even thought on our radio show that the Texans were having some fun with it because Tim Kelly, the offensive coordinator, and Nick Casario, the general manager, in different interviews this week, used the phrase chasing ghosts. So we thought maybe they had like a bet going to see if they could shoehorn that phrase and kind of troll Sam Darnold a little bit. I don't know if trolling him is a good idea. You guys are right. He's had a good first couple games through the season. I think this is a Lovey Smith game, you know what I mean, from the standpoint of trying to confuse Sam Darnold a little bit. The Texans are really depleted in the secondary. I mean, they are banged up as a team. But in the secondary, they're really banged up. Justin Reed, the safety, has been their best playmaker so far this season. Of the five turnovers they have, he's been directly involved in three of them, forcing a fumble and picking off two passes. They're missing um, uh, Terrence Mitchell, their top cornerback. He's out with a concussion. They traded Bradley Roby before the season started. So it's going to be something where they're going to have to play good, good team defense, and they're probably going to have to, they're they're probably going to have to get Sam Darnold seeing some ghosts. Quite honestly, you know, we're going to Halloween is going to have to come a month early at NRG Stadium tonight. There's going to need to be some ghosts at NRG Stadium. Sean, D- David Cody waits so long to become a head coach in the league, and I think it's fair to say he's had a difficult first few months in in the in the role overall. From what you've seen, what, what's your thoughts on him? Do you think he's the long term solution there? Won't be. Come past the Deshaun Watson saga, shall we call it? Are you talking about David Foley? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Dave. Just in terms of his role so far as head coach, what what have you thought of him? Yeah, uh, look, when he first got the job, I had to look up who David Foley was when he interviewed for the job. And I'm in sports, you know what I mean? So, um, So it was not a sizzle hire by any means. And then he did his first few press conferences and he kind of bungled some Deshaun Watson questions and he. He seemed like a guy who was just really happy to have the job as opposed to a guy who was a CEO or a presidential type taking the reins of the organization. I'll, I'll tell you guys, I've been pleasantly surprised by David Culley, and I think a lot of the Texan fans have as well. Um, I think he's he, in the short time he's been the head coach, I think he's shown a side to him where 
he's he's a very much a player's coach, but he's not afraid to take guys to task. Um, he's done a nice job of delegating to his coordinators. Um, he's done a good job of putting a very good staff around him. I, I think he's done, you know, like in, I think in any managerial job, whether it's in sports or business or whatever, 80% of your success is decided by how you hire and who you surround yourself with. And the fact of the matter is these coordinators, Tim Kelly on offense, Lovey Smith on defense, I'll throw Pep Hamilton in there, the quarterback's coach. They've done a, a really good job. James Tampin, the offensive line coach, they've done a really good job of taking what is one of the least talented rosters in the league and at least developing some of these younger guys and, and I think getting things moving in a positive direction. So I don't know if David Culley is the solution long term. I mean, by the time this team's ready to compete for Super Bowls, he's going to be pushing 70 years old. Um, but I think for what they brought him in for, I've been pleasantly surprised by David Culley so far. Sean, I, um, you know, I love the idea. I remember Wes Welker with his foot references about Rex Ryan. I love the idea that your head coach and GM have been having some fun in the media interviews. That would, that would take it to a whole new level. Um, but we, we actually interviewed Coach Carrow a couple of weeks ago, and it was kind of amusing because his coaching tree is quite extensive. So he's got Bruce Arians on one side, and he's still impacting the uh, NFL with obviously – David uh, Cully obviously being part of that coaching tree back in his time as a wide receivers coach back in the Steelers uh, under Coach Carr at the time. But I've, I've got a general question for you. Like It's almost unprecedented, the kind of off-season turmoil that the Texans had this year, the intrigue in multiple layers and stuff. You obviously, not only Coach Cully, but you got in uh, Nick Casario from the New England Patriots, a really well-respected GM. With the start to the season, with what they're trying to change in terms of the culture, and as you say, some of the really mature, great coaches that you brought in, like Lovey Smith, who everyone knows and appreciates as a great defensive mind, are the dark clouds starting to lift over Houston, or is there a lot of work still to go? Well, the, I think it can be both. I mean, there's still a lot of work to go, but I think the dark clouds are lifting a little bit. We've had more positive interaction with our fan base over the first couple of weeks of the season and we do a lot of interaction between our you know, calls we take on our show, text messages we get, social media. Um, we've been shocked by just the kind of the, the shift in from negativity to positivity, but at least by the people that interact with us. Um, now, I'll, I'll caveat that and there's still a lot of work to do. I mean, this is still not a very good football team at all. Um, and, they, and they know that. You know, I think Nick Casario was asked a question a couple weeks ago about what the goals for the season are. And he, he gave an answer that I think most of the time people would look at as a cop-out, but I think most Texan fans understood. He said, this year it's more about the process than the results, you know, and it's about getting the roster straight. And I think what he meant is getting the roster straight, getting the salary cap straight, establishing the culture, as you guys alluded to there. Um, I think they're doing a pretty good job of that so far. They're a competitive team. They put in really good effort. I do think the one dark cloud in the minds of Texan fans that still hangs over this team is Jack Easterby the executive vice president of uh, football operations, who is still viewed by the fan base as a guy who's tied to a lot of the bad moves that were made before Nick Casario and David Culley got here. Um, you know, the DeAndre Hopkins trade, all the bad contracts that were given out, all the bad trades, all the things that put this team, and not to mention, I mean, Deshaun Watson, who I don't think is a big Jack Easterby fan either. So, um, so that that's the one thing that I think if Texan fans are having pause over really emotionally investing in this team, uh, it's probably Easterby. Um, he's not going anywhere. You know, they're not going to fire him. The McNair family, family loves Jack Easterby. I think the best thing for all parties involved is kind of happening, which is Jack Easterby kind of 
moving off to the side and taking more of a background kind of role. And Nick Casario has really been the guy. If you guys were to ask me who's the face of the organization right now, it's without a doubt it's Nick Casario. Yeah, I, I did see, um, Sean, there was a line that uh, Rasputin and Easterby have the same number of letters in their surname. But oh, I, I can't yeah, imagine. yeah, 100%. Yeah, if I had a dime for every Rasputin and Easterby text we've gotten to the show in the last two years, I'd have a big stack of dimes, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Sean, as someone that has a radio show uh, in Houston, as someone as busy as yourself with a pregame coming up in 15 minutes, I just wanted to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I know oh, yeah. you're very busy, and uh, just fa- thank you very much for coming on. Just finally, uh, the Texans get the win tonight. Why? How? Okay, if they get the win. To be clear, I'm not predicting they're getting the win. I've got 27-13 Panthers. I think it's going to be a long night for Davis Mills. But if they do get the win, if they do get the win, I think it's a game where they're they're staying ahead of the chains. They're not putting Davis Mills in situations that are obvious passing situations. I think they're they win this game. They're winning it on first and second down putting him in second and five, third and three, manageable down in distance. I think Davis Mills will surprise some people with his, his athleticism a little bit. He's not Terod Taylor, but he's not somebody that you have to scrap the whole playbook for either. Um, so I think if they win this game, obviously, I think for every – you can say this about every game on the schedule, they need to win the turnover battle. They're the lesser talented team in literally every game they play this year. Um, so they need to win the turnover battle without a doubt. That's non-negotiable. But I think the big key will be making sure you're not putting Davis Mills in situations – that are obvious passing situations, long down in distance, letting the Carolina Panthers, letting that fearsome rush that they have up front tee off on a rookie quarterback. That'll that'll be the to me that'll be the big key. The offensive line for the Texans protecting Davis Mills and at least getting positivity in the run game. They don't need 30 carries for 210 yards, but they do need I think 30 carries for about 130 yards. You know what I mean? Like that, they get that 4.1, 4.2 yards per carry kind of clip. Sean, you talked about that the, the Texans may be shocking the outside world, and it certainly will be interesting to see what happens over the course of the season. Perhaps we'll have you on again if, uh, if the Texans really uh, do uh, continue to surprise the rest of us. But we want to thank you for your time today and enjoy the game this evening. Anytime, guys. Keep up the great work. Shout out to Ireland, my people. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, Sean. Cheers, man. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Sean Pendergast from Houston. I want to say Sports Radio 610. Thanks to Sean for actually getting back so late last night and actually coming on the show as well. Um, Lads, before we get our picks ahead of tonight's game, we're we're actually going to go away from this game because, look, lads, I know these are all buzzing for tonight's game. Uh, Brian, I can see it in your face. You're going to stay up all night and watch the Texas against the Panthers. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Big game, obviously, tonight. We want to welcome in. There's actually two guests here at the minute. The first one is a guy that has worked uh, with um, a few pro kickers, school, college, but he's worked with Tag Leader as well. He's, a, well, I guess, a friend of the show. He's supported our show from the start as well on Twitter. You may have seen him. Uh, Brendan Cahill. Brendan, for a start, welcome in. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Can you guys hear me all right? I can hear you perfectly. Now, Brandon, there, there's a thing here, right? In in, nor- in the north of Ireland, I say Cahill, but in the south, they say Cahill. So how do I pronounce your surname? I've been worrying about this all day. Oh, I don't know. I, you know, it's amazing in the U.S. They like they still can't spell it right. I've gotten like, when I get coffee from Starbucks, I've literally gotten like the letter K-H-I-L. So we just say Cahill, man. But whatever works, works. I'm happy to uh, be on the show. Thanks for having me. 
Absolutely. And there's another guest here as well. I, was, I tell you what, I'm going to bring them in. I bring in, I'm going to bring in Tag Leader and we can just, we'll go around and we'll ask everybody a question or, or so and see the crack before we make our game picks. Tag, welcome in and welcome home as well. Lads, Tag's back in Ireland as well. And uh, welcome in, Tag. <laughs> Cheers, fellas. Good to see you all again. Happy days. Yeah, he's so charming. In the show. Looking very relaxed. This is almost like the Octobox on Red Zone. <laughs> I'm gonna have to screenshot that when I say it. But uh, Colin, I think this is like is the most guest we've ever had in the show live, isn't it? Uh, certainly live, yeah, it it definitely is. And uh, Brendan, uh, delighted to to welcome you in. Uh, Tig is an old friend of ours at, at this point. But it, Brendan, I suppose if you can talk to us a little bit about like how you got into to kicking, because it, it's not like you know you you know most people kind of grow up watching. Uh, the Joe Montanas or John Elways, what led you to kick it? Well, I remember um, my, actually my first memory of kicking actually is a guy, well, my buddy in middle school, his his dad was a Gaelic football guy from, from Galway apparently. And um, I, he was like one of the parents at recess and I was, I couldn't throw the, like an American football to save my life. And he saw that I was like all bummed out because like my, I couldn't throw. And then he comes up to me and he's like, why don't you just kick it? And I was like, oh, like I can do that. And so like he taught me how to like, you know, kick initially. But in high school, um, yeah, I was told I was too slow to be a good wide receiver and too small to be a good lineman. So the deal that I cut with my head coach was that I would be his scout team center and get my head bashed in every day. But he would let me kick. So I had something to do. So, um, yeah, I mean, nobody really dreams of of kicking right there's like like tag tag story is funny because you know he thinks kicking he thought kicking was like really sexy and he's training with all these nfl guys in, in san diego and then you your first your first huddle break right that what do the kickers do well nobody really cares you're just supposed to get off the field and not be seen so um i guess it was something to do but it, like if you're kind of a perfectionist there's no better position to kill time with than trying to kick Brendan, last weekend there were some cliffhangers. Some kickers made made those last second field goals. The Vikings uh, one missed. You know, we all just watch red zone as a whole for the game. But when you're watching the games, are you focusing on the kickers in particular, or are you just enjoying that that uh, moment for the kicker? Yeah, I, my policy is I just I root for kickers. You know, I, and like it's funny, like where I train kids uh, in the Northeast, I just if they're playing each other, I just say I root for fourth down, but. Yeah, that's that's what I'll typically watch. And if like a kicker's coming up, I like hush the room, and my whole family's like, you know, Brendan's having his moment for two seconds, and then, uh, and then yeah, then I just ignore the rest of the game until the next fourth down comes up. But um, yeah, it was a tough weekend. It's been a weird year for kickers, especially with COVID, and um, you know they expanded the practice squad rosters quite a bit, which helps out some kickers. Um, but it seems like you know, you find out your buddy just got signed to a practice squad and you're just about to text him congratulations the next day and you find out they were cut like 10 hours ago. So it's, it's, a, it's always never been an easy life being a kicker, but I think especially with COVID and the practice squads, there's just like 10x the amount of movement that usually happens. Brendan, I look, I mean, we, we appreciate good kickers of a kind of, you know, oddly shaped ball in Ireland. I mean, we've got great rugby kickers like Johnny Sexton, Ron Agar, obviously the, the historic um, uh, attachment there. But actually, there's been a couple of good stories on kickers this week. We, we had a meetup in Dublin last week, and it flashed up on the screen, Matt Amendola, 
So we instantly all wonder, is this Danny's secret stepbrother who's keeping hidden? Um, first kick in the NFL. And he promptly shanks something that basically gets through the post. But then for the rest of the game, every time he came out to pick kick, it was all like, what's going to happen now? And there was almost the excitement about, you know, you know, is he going to get back on track? But then on the converse side, we've had Graham Gano on the show. And last week, Graham Gano had an amazing performance. I mean, we can criticize Joe Judge's conservative play calling, which we will another day. But he oh, kicked yeah. through 50 yarders. He was five for five on field goals. It was a fantastic performance. Like, are there particular ones that you've seen from a coaching standpoint or Tyke that you've seen as someone aspiring to, to go into the league in the first two weeks that you've gone, wow, you know, that was a fantastic delivery and performance by that guy? Ty, why don't you go first? I've been um, I've been really impressed with um, Nick Folk just because at uh, the Pats because um, it, Brendan, you probably know the stat better than me, but he's gone like thirty something in a row now. He said he said he set a franchise record, right? Yeah. Thirty three in a row. Yeah, he's a thirty three. Yeah, so that's phenomenal because you know I'm only I think eleven games into my eleven twelve games into my football career, but to be banging them over 33 games straight because let, let alone you as the kicker doing your job, but like the margin for error, you know, like getting it all done in 1.3 seconds and for the snapper and the holder and the kicker, everyone just to be so bang on like you know, 33 times in a row from obviously, I don't think he's the biggest leg. So I don't think he goes from too deep, like probably 50 and in generally, but um, I think that's phenomenal just to be that zoned in. And uh, funny you mentioned um, the, Mass or, or the, the Jets kicker because out in San Diego where I was training, um, I was tra training with them every day. Um, you know, in the lead up to there was like a combine, and then he was with the Panthers and he got caught by them but signed by the Jets. And he's as a kicker, but his first ever game, he ended up um, having to fill in on punting duties. And I remember him literally back in April um or, or yeah april or so we're going to a combine and the week of the combine he I remember he's asking one of the other irish guys whose name's connor mangan remember asking him like for tips on how to punt because he thought you know he'd be more desirable if he could kick and punt and the lad had no punting experience this is probably april and then he makes his debut week one and he was uh, i think he had a 66 yard punt um so just to, to to give him a shout out in fairness for that like phenomenal stuff um but yeah, Nick Folk so far from what I'm seeing, uh, like to, to to bang over 33 in a row is is uh it's it's no uh it's not it's not an easy gig. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and Folk is. I mean, when he was when he first came into the NFL, he had a really big leg, and it's amazing that he's come back from. I think he had arthroscopic surgery on his hip and his knee, and um, and that's kind of the dilemma a lot of NFL teams typically face. It's like, do you want to? pay more money for less distance with older uh, kickers, but you know, you're going to get more consistent performance inside the red zone. Or do you want to kind of roll the dice on a younger, much cheaper kicker with a huge ceiling, but potentially like a really low floor. Um, so that's kind of like what the Pats have going on now with, with Quinn Nordini um, and then, you know, Nick Folk, obviously. So um so yeah, I think yeah, folks definitely won. I, I love. I mean, I'm biased because there's there's different guys that I know. Like I, I love watching Zach Triner, the long snapper for the Bucks. I mean, it. I mean, long snapping is like the is so like unsexy to the untrained eye. But if if you mess up, everybody messes up. So I I love watching him, Young Waku for the Falcons. Um, so yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more that I 
I'm forgetting to mention. Nice watching Tig when he's playing, you know. Um, so. Yes, sir. And uh, actually, Ty, the, the last time that we spoke to you, it was in it was in Dublin before. Yeah, you actually made your announcement that weekend that you were going to go to Poland and play in the European League of Football. It's been what two or three months, just a couple of months since. How did you find it, and what's the next step for you? Do you think? Uh, the the whole experience was class. Um, didn't really have a notion as you know that day of what I was really getting myself into, but um, as I'm learning American football. If you're not in college, you know, you've aged out of college, there's no alternative. So if you get an opportunity to go play, you go play. And there I was in Poland. So didn't know what to expect in the European League, but it was actually um, much, the, the level of play w was good, but just the whole, um, the kind of ecosystem around it. It was quite quite big in Germany. We played most of our games were in Germany. So um, it, it was it was a nice surprise, I guess, the, the support and just kind of how, how everyone approached it. And then for me personally, I got to kick, I got to punt, I got another five games under my belt and um, got to put some good stuff on tape. So that, that was my biggest struggle, as everyone says, but it's all well and good, you're kicking in shorts and a t-shirt in San Diego off sticks, but what's going to happen when it's 11 and 11? So to get more of that experience was um, was class. I loved it. Actually, I, I loved it. I couldn't speak high, more highly of it. Um, and then just off the field, Poland was a beautiful country. I had no, I had no clue, but I, I had a great time. Cost of living was cheap, so it was good crack as well off the pitch. Um, so yeah, all of those things, it was good times. But what's next? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm back here in Galway. I go back a few days ago, and um, I'm hoping a door opens again. As I said, I've I've put good stuff on tape, and you know, you talk to the kind of even agents and stuff, and you talk to CFL and NFL teams, and put your stuff out there. What I'm really trying to market myself as, um, which is probably a bit unique is that I kind of kicker and punter because just coming from rugby, you know, you do both all the time. So you don't really pass any heat of having to do both. Whereas in football, I guess Brenda can talk to it more. They seem to specialize a lot earlier into one or the other. Um, so I, I'm not really as daunted by the prospect of having to, to maybe do one or the other or do both or whatever that may be. Um, so I'm hoping I'm a bit untraditional in, in like how I swing and how I strike the, the football, but it's going long it's going far and it's going pretty straight that's you know it doesn't really matter what you look like does it so i'm hoping someone's going to recognize that and um a door opens but right now i'm just back in go we're just going to be training and uh um yeah just like annoying people via email saying hey have a look at my stuff what you reckon I suppose one of the interesting things that we've seen over the last kind of year or so is in terms of we talked about like kick kickers and punters and it's not that sexy, but all of a sudden Pat McAfee has become like this oh, yeah. sensation on on uh, online and he joined the the Manning brothers on uh, Monday night and he even got uh, Peyton to, to praise uh, kicking and punting and we all know how Peyton feels about uh, kicking. Uh, could we be seeing a, a new era where the, the league comes to to recognize the, that that specialized talent that you mentioned, uh, Brendan, in terms of long snapping, like, you know, Pat McAfee has do it for the brand is is could could that change it, perhaps? Oh, man, I don't know. You know, uh, within the kicking world, I mean, in, in universe, I mean, Pat McAfee is like an icon. I mean, he he made kicking cool and made punting sexy you know, made fourth down something to look forward to. I think um, it's, it's a, you know, and like coaches see you, every coach logically knows that you, 
you're the kicker always ends up the leading score, but they hate it because anytime a kicker or a punter trots onto the field, it's a sign of failure. You're, you know, you're the guy that goes out there because their offensive scheme that they missed time with their wife and baby during the week to plan blew up in their face and now they're pissed, right? So as a punter or as a kicker, your life is just a contradiction on the sideline because you don't want to play because you, if you're playing, everybody's having a bad day unless it's you hit the game winner and then it's all good. Um, and, but especially as a punter, you, you get to third down and you're like, God, like, I hope we get it, but I also hope I do something once in a while. So I think within the, the kicking universe, like we've definitely gotten better at supporting each other and, and whatnot via, you know, Pat McAfee, but um, kicking as a whole, you know, everybody wants to be you till it's time to be you, right? Like, I'm sure and Ty can attest to this. Like, it doesn't matter if you're, if you just banged a 50 yarder, you're still going to get made fun of as the kicker, even if you just save the coach's job. Um, but when the game's on the line, nobody wants to trade places with you. So it's kind of a paradox, I guess. But I think within the, the kicking universe, we've, we've gotten a little bit better or kicking is a little bit cooler anyway. Brendan, just stepping away from the kicking side of things, only early in the season, week three, we're going to put anything in particular kind of stand out for you so far in the first two weeks, anything that surprised you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you got you got Matt Stafford going to the Rams, right? So was was it Detroit or was it him that wasn't working? And it, it seems like it wasn't. It was Detroit that wasn't really working out. Um, you know, and actually they got the Rams and the and the uh, the the Bucks are seeing each other. So that's going to be a great matchup to see what happens there. Um, I grew up, a, am still a Patriots fan, you know, so it's like watching Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, uh, you know, it's going to be like, what it's like a kid with like divorced parents watching them fight each other. You know, you just, everybody in new England just wants that week over with, you know, cause if they're going to, you're going to feel good and bad no matter what happens. Cause Belichick or Brady's going to win. But you're also going to be sad that, you know, one of, one of your favorite people had a bad day. So those are the bigger storylines, I think. But um, it also seems like the league is a little bit more settled in terms of like all the COVID upheaval. And I mean, you got your your Cole Beasley's of the world, but that's another show. But um, it's, it seems like the, the NFL is a little bit more even killed, I would guess. But what about you guys? What are you watching? How does that work in Ireland, by the way? Like, who? how do you guys kind of pick your favorite teams? Is it just... Oh, it's that sounds really cool. Late nights, Brendan. Late nights, alcohol-infused oh, nights. nights. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I was I was ticked off. I was going to try to buy some Guinness to be on the show, but it was not to be today. Well, Brendan, some, yeah, I was going to say, Brendan, some of us happen to have picked the right team as well because I happen to be a Pats fan also. So there I can, you go. Um, and I love actually your comment about long snappers. I, again, this is going really behind baseball, but I remember um, 2003 Super Bowl, Patriots beat the Panthers on a last-minute field goal by the greatest kicker of all time, Adam Vinatieri. But what people forget about that game is that Lonnie Paxton was out, Sean McDermott was out, so we were down to a third long snapper, Brian Kitchen, and Vinatieri missed the 31-yarder earlier in the first quarter with a bad snap. So that pressure kick and the whole importance of that whole unit becomes vitally important and long snapper plays such an important role in that um, he, actually wrote a, he actually wrote a great book um about his whole story i mean he was i think he was teaching kindergarten and they called him in november like right when they were about to make their playoff run and he was it was bad he was like throwing up in the bathroom and in, in between downs you know he just like couldn't like stand still. i mean it was 
the fact that he was able to make that snap is is amazing. But yeah, I yeah. think it's called The Long Snapper's Life or something like that. But that's an awesome book. Yeah, and, and ever since then, Belichick always insists upon having an ultimate backup on long snappers. So Mike Vrabel served that role, having started as a long snapper, actually, uh, yeah. as well. So there used to always be that, what about in this scenario? So Ty, your point actually about putting yourself out there as a kicker and a punter, I think is brilliant because you're actually affording teams the option to say, hey, just carry one kicker and you've got 52 spaces on your roster then. Now, God willing, you know, if something happened to you, they're really screwed, to be honest with you. But at least you're, you're opening up that other roster spot. Yeah, well, the last guy that yeah, did uh, that like, was... It um... seems... Oh, I'm sorry, Tag. No, no, I, I was going to say, there's going to be a question to you is, what? okay, I guess the injury point is a very valid point, but it, why isn't this... Why isn't it more of a of a of a done thing, or at least in, or has it been experimented in the past? They kind of duo um, kicker punter, and has, has it blown up on someone? Like, because I haven't found a good answer yet, so maybe you can enlighten me here. Yeah, so they did try it once. Um, uh, there was a the guy. So the most recent guy that did it was Ty Long, um, the, who's the punter for the the Chargers actually, and he's a phenomenal place kicker. He did all three when he was playing with the BC Lions for the CFL for years. Um, so Michael Bagley got hurt last year, I think. And for like five games, Ty Long did everything. Um, and he actually was great. He ended up having a higher field goal percentage than their starting kicker for the year. Um, and then there was, a, I think Pat McAfee was the last guy to do all three in college. I mean, he was just kind of a yeah. great, um, athlete. He was actually more of a kicker. And then he just picked up hunting in the, in between mm -hmm. when college ended and when the Colts started. So, but you know, on, on some, most, the kind of the, the double-edged sword is there's not guys there's definitely guys that can do all three like matt amandola right but if he gets hurt your entire fourth down is gone um whereas if you carry two guys who can if you have a kicker who can kind of punt and a punter who could at least hit an extra point that's probably ideal so the chargers had johnny hecker and their punt their other punter out in the preseason so matt gay ended up punting and if they were, but if they had only had one guy, they would have been screwed on fourth down. So it, I think it's just more of an insurance policy thing. Yeah. But, but there, it's there's always there been some, there's yeah. always been some funny ones. I mean, Pat McAfee's the classic example. He did the kickoffs as well to save Adam Vinatieri's leg, but yeah. usually Tigers come up in injuries. So um, again, I remember a game where Steven Gostowski was punting and kicking because of an injury, I think, to Zoltan Mesko in the game. But the, the nuance of the position players kicking. Field goals has also been Ocho Cinco did it in preseason. Welker did it during a game yeah. for the Pats as well. But the other one is I remember, and Brendan will keep me honest on this. I think Dominican Sue attempted yeah. one during the preseason with the yeah. Detroit Lions as well. So like, you've got all these players that think they can <laughs> kick as well. You've got to deal with those guys, you know. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, every every O lineman, every practice ever, there's always like one O lineman that comes over is like, let me kick one, and then you know if they make it, it's like awesome and everybody's happy. But um, you know, in terms actually, in terms of like the college recruiting game, I mean, it's a little different from the NFL, but you know that's huge if you're a position player who happens to be able to kick or snap, because some college conferences have roster limitations on them that are are pretty strict, like 75 guys in a conference or 90. Um, you know, so that typically helps. Um, and then in high school, I think just because kids are really young, 
almost always the the all state kickers the best kids in high school football are kicking and punting they typically start at another position on offense or defense throughout the game so they're just not mentally stewing all the time on it um so yeah i mean that's yeah maybe we'll see ty get running back or something yeah i don't feel that that's ty, a uh, job. <laughs> last one for me man right ty um I was like sort of surprised when it said that Germany might have an NFL game. And then I actually read into it and seen the amount of fans for American football, never mind the NFL. Just what was that atmosphere like? Like you were playing, is it like the Hamburg Sea Devils in a in like huge stadium and yeah. stuff? Like, what are those fans like? Not just in Germany, but like around mainland Europe. First ever game because in the spring league we had no fans. So my first ever game with fans was in Cologne, Germany, and I had like a. I guess the first was when I was just sitting on the sideline and um, obviously in rugby, you just have your number, you don't have your name. And I remember just sitting on the sideline, we're playing in Cologne. And I just remember p- kind of people screaming like, hey, leader, leader. And I was like, oh, I wonder who that is. By the off chance, I might have known. And not really, again, my name's on the back. And you're turning around, looking at these lads, my age, probably 10 yards away from me, just going, you suck, you suck. And just the guys just <laughs> screaming abuse at me. And then, it, so that, that was different because in rugby, you're moving, you don't have time to be abused. Whereas as a kicker, you spend 99% of your time on the sidelines, you're a sitting target. So that was a learning experience. And they also said, they use other um, words to, to describe me, but yeah, obviously you just say you suck for now. But anyway, um, I was surprised with the, as I said, I was surprised with how many people, like just just very passionate about it like like really in germany real passionate about it and a few thousand turned up to, to all the different games around the place um and it was very it was just it was german but it, um it it felt like it could have been back in the states i guess just kind of with how everyone was kind of interacting if, if that even makes sense like it was very americanized but with a, almost a german twang if, if rather than german with american twang it was weird it was it was different but they're highly passionate about it and um, I can see why you'd want you'd, you'd want to you'd want to put a game on there because they um yeah like they loved it and the usual thing sinking beers having a bit of crack shouting some abuse so I enjoyed it I enjoyed it but I, yeah I think for the NFL it makes a whole lot of sense to to tap that market. Sounds like uh, an average night out in any Irish uh, town. In fairness, Tyg, but um, look, we want to say thanks to <laughs> your, yourself and Brendan for taking the time to to join us. It's been great to, to have a, a chat this evening, and hopefully, we can chat to you again um, in the future. Um, but we really just, uh, yeah, thanks thanks very much for this evening. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, guys. And you know, anything I can do for you, or anytime you want to talk some kicking down for it where can where can viewers find you on on twitter brendan yes uh at coach cahill show um i do typically run a podcast but it's i have a one-year-old so it's been a little tough scheduling (laughs) (laughs) well thanks very much for this evening hey thank you very much guys thanks a million for your time last chat to you soon appreciate it thank you see you fellas good luck cheers see you ty that was a good crack and we have to get our game picks in now, boys. Let's just say this is presented by uh, the team over at Matchbook Betting Exchange. Use code Irish NFL show to get a bonus on your deposit. Um, 18 plus, please only gamble what you can afford. Gamble aware in the north as well. Right. Have we got time? Mark, you got time? All good? Ready to go?
I, I sense this isn't going to take very long, Michael. In I would say the same. Column, do you want to go first? Sorry about the graphics, boys, but we're at the bottom. It's all good. Column, uh, let's go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, um, the give give it this even that full strength, the the Panthers were were gonna win this game, but with the Texans that beat up. Uh, I suppose what's interesting to, to me is if the Panthers do go three and oh, the last time they did that was 2015 and they went to the Super Bowl. So if the Panthers do that, how far can this Panthers team go? But yeah, it's Panthers winning this evening. So I think you're getting ahead of yourself there, Colin. This one game at a time for these Panthers for these Panthers fans. I'm, I'm only saying that was the last time. And let's I mean, I think I made my feelings on the Panthers clear in preseason. I still am yet to be convinced on Sam Darnold. But look, get on the tra- get on the train and, and let's see. Well, I was on the Matt, I was on the Matt Rule train for a very long time, and I was in preseason as well, in particular when we did a preview show. And I was also on the Sam Darnold train, and I predict them to win the first two weeks. So I'm not going to move away from them now. Certainly in this game, where you would expect McCaffrey to have a, a, a field night and run for over 100 yards, potentially even have some receiving yards in the in the high high 80s, 90s as well, and score a couple of touchdowns. And Sam Darnold, I think, will have a, a quite a comfortable evening because everyone else, in particular that defense, will do the job. Panthers win. Um, I can't imagine why I want to p- p- pick up a penguin, but I would certainly want to make a pick at the moment. And the problem with Brian's analogy there is um, you can get on the Sam Darnold train, but it's only a matter of time before it goes careering off the rails, killing everyone on board in a fireball of death, destruction, and mayhem. Um, and the problem is no one knows when that will actually strike. Um, could strike tonight, and Sam Donald could be the reason that the Panthers lose this game, but I don't really think so. I think the Panthers will have too much, and even if you just hand it off to Christian McCaffrey 63 times, you should have enough to beat the Texans and poor Davis Mills in a horrible situation to start uh, his first start in the NFL. Um, I'm picking the Texans. What are you talking about? So Tyrod Taylor, Tyrod Taylor will not turn the ball over. Tyrod Taylor. I think he's only picking the Texans at this stage just to keep showing that video. I I, I think he his system I've literally broken his time. Tyrod Taylor isn't playing. Yeah, it literally crashed because of Colin losing the head. Uh, I'm I'm picking the. But I think it'll be closer than you boys think. I said it the other night about. Uh, about I said it about the Giants in Washington last week. I'm saying it tonight again. I think I think it'll be three to seven point win for the Panthers. I don't think McCaffrey gets over 100 yards rushing, uh, and I think Davis Mills impresses in what is a victory for the Panthers. But hopefully, Michael, if they do get to the Super Bowl, their, their 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 quarterback doesn't you know give up and fair down and not move. You know, Michael, I agree. He might not get over 100 yards rushing, but he might get over 100 yards receiving. Is the problem? No, he won't. He won't. He won't. He won't. Um, we're back in in, in Belfast. I'm gonna say Dublin. I've been in Dublin five out of the last six weeks. We're, we're back in Dublin this Sunday. Uh, please feel free to join us. We are going to have pints of harp for, for these boys and many other uh, Northern Ireland delicacies. Uh, we hope to see you there at Deer's Head from 5:30 p.m. We have got the Two games on Sky and Red Zone. I have literally forgot. You got the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Rams, the Bucks, and Red Zone, um, and a free beer on entry. Uh, any final points, lads? Before I go to Brendan Neely. No, but we will have our um, our week three show on Sunday morning, of course, just to do some crazy picks and see who comes out on the right side of this 
nice little table that we have between the four of us, which I'm top of for the second week in a row. In, indeed. And we'll see how that crazy thing goes on Sunday. Brian, I, I, have, I, I have every confidence that you'll top it because if I didn't have bad luck, I had no luck. So do not follow my picks. Any viewers, if I, I certainly pick, don't. go opposite. I certainly don't, Colin. Um, yeah, 10 a.m. Sunday. Looking forward to it, lads. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to chatting again. We spoke to uh, Chiefs defensive line coach um, Brendan Daly earlier on about his Irish heritage, the Chiefs, uh, and loads of other points. And he spoke very highly of Joe Judge, Brian. Don't worry. Here it is, uh, lads. Good night. See you on Sunday. Okay. All the best, lads. See you soon. See you. And thank you, everyone, See you for then. watching. See you on Sunday. Uh, finally, tonight on the Irish NFL Show, delighted to have uh, not only a four-time Super Bowl champion coach, a guy that loves Ireland, uh, defensive line coach for the Kansas City Chiefs, honoured to welcome Brandon Daly to the Irish NFL Show. Brandon, a very, very warm welcome to you. Thank you for having me. This is kind of an honour. Uh, I've got an affinity for Ireland and uh, I love the opportunity to, to share American football with the Irish people. Uh, and just you, you're you're talking about your affinity to Ireland, Brendan. You know, have you been to Ireland recently yourself? Uh, how many times have you been over here? And uh, it would it would be great to have an NFL game, maybe with the Chiefs someday in in Ireland as well. It would be fantastic, actually. Um, so I've been to Ireland a couple of times. I actually worked there. Uh, it would have been the summer of '95, I believe. It's been a while on that one. Um, but I worked in a factory down in Cork uh, County, uh, Ring of Skitty, Archer Daniel Midland Company. It was an American plant making citric acid. And um, what an unbelievable experience that was for me to, you know, uh, get to meet the, the people of Ireland. I uh, have some great people that I worked with there uh, that uh, I de developed those relationships and, and continued them for quite some time. Uh, I went back, actually. Um, must have been early 2000s, uh, 01 or 02, I guess, with my wife's family before we were married, actually. Um, and if you want to decide whether or not you want to marry somebody, go on a, a trip uh, overseas with them for about a week and you'll figure out real quick whether it's going to be for you or not. But uh, we had a blast and um, I got to meet up with a bunch of those guys that I worked with uh, down in Cork. Uh, same pub every Friday night down there in Douglas. You know, I didn't even call them and tell them where I was going. Just show up, and I knew they were going to be there. And sure enough, we had a we had a great crack. Um, so anyway, it's been a while since uh, since I've been back there. I would love to get there with my kids. Um, it, it's on the agenda uh, soon, hopefully. Well, we would be delighted to welcome you back, uh, Brendan. I'm actually from Cork myself. Uh, I know Ringa Skiddy and Douglas very well. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good to, to hear that you enjoyed uh, your time. And yeah, definitely be, be great to see you back here. Now, I had the good fortune of talking to you in, in the run-up for the Super Bowl, but I also got to talk to some of the players. And both Chris Jones and Frank Clark talked about their admiration for you not just as a, as a coach, but as a person. But they did talk about your coaching ability, ability to motivate, to bring people together. But I, 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 even going further back, I found a quote from Jeff McDonald from your time at Ridgewood. And he said, there wasn't a minute when he wasn't coaching somebody. So just interested in, can you talk to us a bit about your approach to coaching? Well, I, you know, coaching is teaching. I started out as a, as a teacher. Um, I started out at a high school. And, uh, you know, I, I think 
the art of coaching in in essence that's what it is you're teaching people not biology math science whatever it happens to be you're teaching them the sport you're teaching them football and it doesn't matter how much you as an individual know about the subject or the content but it's your ability to communicate that to other people to get them to understand to get them to um, you know refine their technique and their fundamentals that allows you in my opinion to be a quality coach and uh, you know i do find that there's a lot of different ways to coach and i think each individual that you're working with learns a different way you know some guys learn by doing some guys learn by listening some guys need video some guys need to um you know go out and make mistakes before they learn and so you know i think there's uh a lot of different ways that you can do that one-on-one -on -one settings versus group settings um being very different so i think you try to find the best way to relate to each individual and how does that person learn and you try to do the best you can to the best of your ability to suit their individual needs um and and i think you know everyone's different in that regard and i think that's the art of being a good teacher or a good coach is you have to be willing to adapt adjust and learn how to hit those buttons for each individual person so that's kind of what i've tried to do certainly not always to you know optimal success but uh not for lack of effort brandon uh sorry brandon you as you started as columns alluded to extremely young i mean you started 22 23 in high school all the way through the process if you like of building a career up and obviously clearly devoted to coaching at a young age but i'm fascinated because there's gail gilbert who appeared in five consecutive Super Bowls. The only other person I can find that's ever done that is yourself across the Chiefs and the Patriots. <laughs> so I'm just curious, I mean, like, does it feel like in your career in coaching, now, you know, you've really hit the echelon and this amazing run of success. And as a kind of a follow-on, as you're talking about your philosophy on coaching, you've got a really unique position. I can think of Joe Judge a few years ago in New England, coached special teams and the wide receiver core. But there aren't too many coaches that coach both sides of the ball like you do on the defensive line and the run game coordinator. Maybe you could share a bit of the, the challenges and maybe the benefits of, of that part of your role. Well, so, you know, I, I'll address the first part. Um, you know, I've always looked at this career as a journey, not a destination. You know, um, when I got into it, I had no vision of being in the nfl to be quite honest with you you know uh i wanted to coach i wanted to affect people's lives i wanted to teach as opportunities came about um you know i looked at it and thought well maybe i'd like to coach at the college level that's something i'd want to do uh one day opportunity presented itself and i thought you know what i i was young i wasn't making any money um in fact i took it you know if you can imagine taking a huge pay cut as a high school teacher that's what i did um to to go and coach at the college level but i thought as i was young you know what it's a great time to do that before you have a family and so i did and it's just kind of one thing's led to another um there was a point in my life to be honest where i had a perception of the nfl where i would have given you uh i, I would have told you i don't want to coach in the nfl i don't have any aspirations to do that and again as opportunities presented themselves and i got into the nfl i i found it to my liking i loved it and um you know it's kind of it's gone from there and so i don't necessarily dwell on you know how many super bowls i've been in or things of that nature honestly i'm focused on the next one um there'll be a point in time where you sit back and reflect and look back and to be honest i hope this isn't the climax of my career you know i hope that 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 
you know, arc is still trending in an upward direction, you know, and that's what I'm working to accomplish each and every day. So um, that's kind of how I view that. Um, I have had the opportunity to work on both sides of the ball. You mentioned Joe Judge, who's a good friend of mine, actually, and a fantastic football coach. Um, I worked on the offensive side my early in my career. My title now in terms of being the run game coordinator is really defensively. Um, and so I don't necessarily deal with the offensive side in that run game title coordinating. gets the defensive end of that that I really am working with. And uh, I'll be honest, after these first two weeks, we've not been as good as we need to be in terms of stopping the runs. So I'm, I'm locked in and focused on that right now this week. That's a big challenge for us based on not performing the way we would like to or up to our standards in, in week one and two right here. So, um, yeah, I look at those challenges week to week and day to day. And, um, you know, I, I kind of keep the focus narrow and streamlined. And, and right now I'm focused on going out and having a great practice this afternoon. Yes, sir. And we've got one quick question each from us to finish it off, Brendan. Uh, for me, we've had guys like Michael Lombardi on, Danny Woodhead, and they've talked about Bill Belichick. You know, to sum it up quickly, what, what was it like working with him and uh, the man that he is? You know, I uh, I enjoyed every minute and every day working with Bill. Um, not always easy, okay? Uh, demanding, fair, phenomenal football mind. Um, I learned a tremendous amount from him, both from a scheme standpoint, from uh, how he manages the team standpoint, um, from a technique and fundamental standpoint. Uh, I, I really enjoyed my opportunity to work with Bill and uh, – I, you know, I cherish those days. We had a lot of success. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned, uh, you know, I've told a lot of people this about Bill. Um, you know, you, you're not going to – if you need to be patted on the back and told what a good job you're doing each and every day, players, coaches, anybody, that's not the place for you. Uh, if you can handle the truth, if you can acknowledge the truth, if you like to be challenged, you like to put, be pushed, and if you like to win, it's a great place to be. And uh, I found that all to my liking. So – it was a it was a great run there. And he he had some very good things to say about you, Brendan. He said uh, you were a phenomenal uh, teacher, and uh, the way in which you had a great understanding. Uh, and and he, it, he I think he he could see a lot of uh, himself uh, in you. But one of the things I'm interested in is I've seen footage of you running the steps at Arrowhead pre-game, and I know you used to do the same at. Gillette with Brian Flores and, and Chad O'Shea. Can you tell us a little bit about that routine and, and how it came about? You know, uh, I don't know the actual origin, but I do think it started in 2014 when I got to New England. And, you know, we work long hours. Um, they're long weeks. And to be quite honest, uh, you probably don't take care of yourself from a health standpoint in the season like you should as an assistant coach one of the windows that i've always found where you've got downtime free time and you can count on it is at the stadium before the game you're there early you're sitting in the locker room kind of waiting for things to you know get going and um i've you know a lot of guys have nervous energy whatever it may be i've always found that being a great time to work out and you know you're going to get a workout at that point in the week so I did it on my own, you know, prior to going to New England. Um, when I got there, uh, Chad O'Shea and Brian Flores and I, you know, became fast friends. We came, became workout partners kind of during, um, you know, the off season and training camp. And when we got to the regular season, 
it kind of just continued and we started doing the stadium before the game. And uh, honestly, whatever it's been, eight years now, I was thinking about this the last Sunday when I ran. I don't think I've missed one. Rain, shine, sleet, snow, ice, we, you know, security issues. We've gone through some adversity. Uh, but I, I think I've made it uh, injuries to, to be included. Uh, I think I've made it every pregame for eight years. So it's kind of become a fun ritual and tradition and puts me in a good place mentally before the game. Brendan, uh, you've been an amazing guest, and I just wanted to call out, I think Steve Spagnola once referred to you as the best defensive line coach in the league uh, as well. And obviously the, the unit you coach there is pretty impressive. Obviously, we have a lot of Chiefs fans over in Ireland and Europe uh, that follow you guys uh, passionately. And I'm sure you've got a pretty talented quarterback there. I wonder, do you sometimes ask Patrick Mahomes to take it easy on your guys and not run around so much in training to to give them a bit of a break. You know, uh, I, I'll tell you, there is a great competition and rivalry there uh, in practice. You know, when we're going good against good, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm glad it's practice and not the game. I've seen it on the other side of the coin. Uh, he, he is a handful to deal with. Um, in fact, I honestly, just today, I go, I always go and I look at our offense working against the scout team defense, which a lot of times is my younger guys, the developmental guys. And I flip that tape on just to see how they're doing, what the, you know, what their work ethic is, how they're executing some of the fundamentals and technique. And I was doing that this morning early and it's still, after being around him for a, a period of time, he makes plays in practice where I just, I run the tape back and you just shake your head going, wow, like, look at that throw, like unbelievable. Um, it's fun to be on his team. It's fun to be playing with him. But, uh, yeah, good friendly rivalries. And uh, I, we, I will say in, in an air of truth, we've had at least one, maybe two soft tissue muscle, muscle injuries occur chasing him in practice over the years. Um, so I've gotten to the point where I've said, you know what, like he's going to scramble around. Like you got him, you got him. Just, just pull up. We're good. You know? I, Brendan, I have to give a massive shout out for Arrowheads Abroad, the biggest group in Europe uh, and the UK who are, they have a massive uh, Newcastle weekend this weekend. They're going to watch your game, so, so they'll be watching. But a massive thanks to you, Brendan, for coming on and taking time out of your very busy schedule this week to chat to us, to chat to NFL fans over here. And hopefully we'll chat to you and Patty Mahomes as well, very soon as well. I would love it if you got Patty on there with you guys. Thanks for having me, fellas. And uh, I, I appreciate you guys doing this. I love the energy. I love the uh, the, the NFL being exposed to Europe and uh, appreciate all of the Arrowhead fanatics that are, that are overseas. And we welcome all comers. Have a great day, guys. Thanks for having me.